This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you along with Austin. Especially if you're here for the first time, we're glad you're here. And we are going through the book of Luke until Easter. And uh, we are coming to the end here. And this is um, the main prophecy that Jesus spoke while he was alive. He didn't give a whole lot of prophecy, but there, um, there are a whole lot of prophecies in the Old Testament about him. Uh, and this is one of the few that he gives about what's coming in front of him. And if you know anything about biblical prophecy, it's, it's kind of confusing. Um, in almost everyone, there's both the near prophecy and the, the near fulfillment of the prophet. A prophet uh, is just prophesying something that is about to happen that nobody knows about. That's what it means, is predicting the future, essentially. Um, but in a kind of a vague way, not real specific, but in a vague way, predicting what's going to happen. And this is the time in um, Jesus' life where he predicts what's going to occur. And in every prediction prophecy, there's going to be a near fulfillment, and there's going to be a farther fulfillment. And sometimes it's like you're looking at the mountains, and you can't tell exactly which one is which, and they kind of mix together. So in, in this uh, prediction, for instance, you have the near fulfillment, which is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. We talked about that last week. So that's verses 8 through 24. Um, if you have a Bible, you can just kind of look there and maybe even mark that. That that is the end of Jerusalem, or the end of Israel, really. That's the end of, of the time of, of Israel, where God spoke only through his chosen people, Israel. It says in verse 6, The days will come when there is not left one stone upon another. That's the end of Jerusalem, the end of the temple, essentially the end of Israel. So that's the near fulfillment. But then there's also a farther fulfillment. And it's hard to tell when he's talking about this one and when he's talking about this one. But that one is mostly verses 25 through 28. That last part that Shadia read. So you have the far fulfillment, which is the end of not just Israel, but the end of the universe. So you have this one, and you have this one. The end of Israel, the end of the universe, and this one kind of foreshadows this one. So the first one is a foreshadowing of a taste of what you're going to get with the second one. And that's why they're all lumped together like that. Verse 27, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and glory. And those two, again, are related to each other. So first, the near fulfillment of the prediction of Jesus, and then the far, farther fulfillment. Um, the near fulfillment, as I said, is about 40 years after he predicted this. So this gospel was written before these events happened, um, but not long before the events happened. He spoke these words in about 30, the year 30 AD, and then the gospel was written in maybe the 60s, and then in 70, this event actually happened. And the event was uh, the massacre of Jerusalem by the Roman Emperor Titus, which we have a lot of other sources to tell us about. So this is not just in the Bible, 
But you notice here that the disciples are admiring the stones of the temple. You know, they're admiring the noble stones of the temple. And Jesus has got to be rolling his eyes at this point because he's told them again and again and again, it's not about the temple. But they're talking about how beautiful it is and how big the stones are. And Jesus says, look, this is verse 20. You're about to see Jerusalem, this temple, surrounded by armies. Okay, this is, this is it's over for this temple. This is, this is desolation for the temple. It's not about the temple, guys. That's what he's telling them, that the temple is going to go down. In fact, Israel is going to go down. In um, 70 AD, when Titus massacred Israel, um, they committed absolutely horrific atrocities, even to women and children, which is why Jesus says in verse 23, alas for pregnant women and nursing infants. And so the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem was like the ultimate nightmare for the Israelites. That, that was the end for them. And then it actually happened 600 years earlier in um, the first destruction of the temple when the Babylonian empire came in and destroyed the temple and exiled all the Jews. And now 70 AD, um, you have the same thing happen. It's like PTSD for Israel. This is the same thing happening again. The same trauma that was experienced 600 years earlier is now being experienced in 70 AD. And Jesus sums it up by saying, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Again, the Gentiles for the second time. First Babylon, the Babylonian empire, now the Roman empire. And this is the way of all the empires. You had that back in Egypt. If you know the Old Testament, the Egyptian empire persecuted the people of God. Then the Babylonian empire persecuted the people of God. And now the Roman empire is persecuting them. And every single empire is the same way. You know, the empire is always going to be the empire. Um, no matter which empire you're in. And I would say the British empire, the Holy Roman empire, the American empire. There's similarities. The, the empire never stops being the empire. Uh, as... Uh, as the character, the, the dwarf in the Lord of the Rings, his name is Gimli. If you know that series of books, at one point Gimli says, uh, the arm of Sauron has grown long in our day as he can draw down snow from the north and trouble us here 300 leagues away. And uh, that phrase, the arm of Sauron has grown long, is a great depiction of the power of the empire. Um, the, the arm of the empire has grown long in our day. And uh, until Christ comes again, the violence of the empire will always continue to happen. Now, there's a Harvard philosopher named Steven Pinker that you might have heard of. He's an atheist, famous atheist, a very optimistic man. He wrote a book called Enlightenment Now. And he says, quote, by every metric of human well-being, the world is getting better. Which is a bold claim to make in light of the fact that in the 20th century, um, you had all of these evil empires, one after another. You had the, the Hitler genocide, which was 10 million people. And then a lot of people don't realize that Mao Zedong in China, uh, he committed a much greater genocide of 30 million people. And then even more Stalin in the Soviet Union, 45 million people, his own people were killed, uh, genocide by these three uh, tyrants without any provocation. Without any provocation, their own people you know, even Rome, as brutal as Rome was, did not do that. So I would question the thesis that the human races are getting nicer or that things are getting better. I would say that until Jesus returns, the empire is going to only get more dark, more evil. And we're going to see that increase around the world. I think we can kind of see how that might go. Um, but 
the good news is that as the empire grows darker, the kingdom's light will grow brighter and the contrast will go greater. So it's this combination of things. Like if, if somebody asks, is the world getting better? I'd say, well, in some senses it is getting worse, but then also the brightness of the kingdom of God and the witness to the kingdom is growing brighter, both at once. And our job in verse 12 is to bear witness to the kingdom as things get bad. It's to continue to hold fast to the fact that there's something better on the horizon, like the sun right now. The sun is a, as things get darker, the sun is still there on the horizon. Um, the, the kingdom still shines. Verse 12 says, you will be brought before kings and governors. So the rulers of the empire, you'll be brought before them for my namesake. In other words, they're bringing you before, um, before themselves because uh, they want to question you about your allegiance to me. And he says, this is your opportunity to bear witness. And um, the, the witness would be that, look, you kings and governors, your empires are crumbling. You're going to fade, but my kingdom will last forever. The present evil age is what scholars sometimes call the age that we're in right now. And the, the present evil age is going to crumble, is in fact, in some ways crumbling right now under our feet. Um, this is difficult to not only think about, I mean, some of you have never heard this before, this concept of the empire and the kingdom and bearing witness to the fact that the empire is falling and the kingdom is shining. You know, it's not easy to slip that into a conversation that, that uh, Christ has risen from the grave and defeated the powers of death. And, and God acknowledges that it's hard for us to bear witness. Uh, he knows that it wasn't easy for the early Christians to bear witness and it's not easy for us in the 21st century to bear witness. He says, don't worry in advance how you're going to defend yourself. You may wonder, this is verse 14, you may wonder, how am I going to defend myself if they come back at me and say, you know, this whole Jesus thing is a fairy tale. It's like the Easter bunny or Santa Claus. You know, what am I going to, how am I going to defend myself? And he says, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself because he knows we're going to worry. When, when God asked Moses to bear witness to the kingdom all the way back uh, in the Old Testament, you know, 2,000 years before Christ, uh, Moses said, please, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I'm slow of speech and I get tongue-tied easily. So Moses also felt the difficulty of bearing witness to the presence of the kingdom of God on earth, to the, to the, the fall of the empire. It's not easy to do that. And God assures us in verse 15, I will provide you eloquence and wisdom. So when, when you don't know what to say, I'm going to provide you words. And we actually see that fulfilled in the book of Acts. You see that in the speech of Peter, Stephen, Paul before Festus, Paul before Felix and Agrippa. Again and again and again, you see the Holy Spirit providing the words, the eloquence, the wisdom that you don't have when you tell your friend or your coworker or your teacher, or somebody, you bear witness to the fact that this is gonna go away and there's a new world that's coming. He'll give you eloquence. He'll give you wisdom on how to have that conversation. It's a promise. You know, we say, nothing's gonna happen when I tell my friend or my brother or my parents about this whole thing. Nobody's gonna listen to that. That's foolish, I look like a fool. And Jesus says in verse 15, none of your adversaries will able to oppose or refute you. Again, he's promising his 
fearful followers, you can do this. You can bear witness, and there's going to be power when you do that. Again, none of your adversaries will be able to oppose you or refute you. I was reflecting on the fact that it's really hard to bear witness throughout the week, thinking about this passage, how difficult it is to, again, to bring this up in any way or move this into a conversation or move a conversation towards that, bearing witness to the presence of the kingdom on earth. And then I thought, well, I get so excited about the fact that that COVID is on the decline right now. So I've been texting people. You may have got a text from me. Um, all these exciting numbers that I've been getting as I've been watching the CDC stats. And in the last month, uh, their hospitalizations are down across the nation by 50%. And I've been texting that out to people. And then the number of cases are down 75% in the last month and a half. So these amazing things are happening around us. I don't hear a lot of that from the public. I don't hear the media talking about it very much. And I think it's good to talk about this good news. But then I thought, you know, if I bear witness to the fact that COVID is falling and good things are coming, health is returning, then why would I be afraid to bear witness to the fact that a much greater thing is falling than COVID and a much greater presence is coming than the presence of health in our country? You know, why don't I witness to Christ like that? So when someone is talking about how terrible things are in America right now with, you know, the conspiracy theories and, and QAnon and cancel culture and social media and all these problems we're having in our country, the divisions, the rancor, uh, the public discourse being so bad. There's a chance to say, yes, but I believe that there's more to this life. I, I believe there's actually something happening underneath the ground that's very hard to see in gatherings like this all around the world, that something is coming, that new life is coming, that actually... Uh, there is a king, there's, there's this king who's hidden and very hard to see, but that he rose from the grave and his, his kingdom is spreading out. Help is on the way. Which brings us to the second point, which is the far fulfillment. You know, the, the near fulfillment is the destruction of Israel, the temple, Jerusalem, and that gets you into the second fulfillment, which is the end of the universe, the end of everything, the return of Christ. Verse 27, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with glory. And that's a reference back to a prophecy in the book of Daniel much earlier where he talks about this human-looking figure that's coming on the clouds and bringing in the final kingdom of God at the very end of time. The Son of Man is a, is a description that Jesus uses for himself all the time. He calls himself the Son of Man all the time. And now he's saying, I'm going to come in the clouds. Me as a human being, you know, six feet tall or whatever he was, like actually me, this body, I'm going to come on the clouds at the end of time, and I'm going to bring things to a close. So the fall of Jerusalem is foreshadowing a much greater fall. The fall of the stars, the fall of you know, red giants and white dwarves, these stars out there. Imagine the stars falling. Well, that's actually what Isaiah says in Isaiah 34.4. The skies will be rolled up like a scroll and all the stars will fall like withered leaves from the vine. That's back in the book of Isaiah. hundred years earlier, he's predicting that. The skies, imagine the sky being rolled up like a scroll, the way you would roll up a scroll. And imagine seeing the stars at night just fall. That's what Isaiah is predicting. And then Jesus says in verse 25, there will be miracles in the sun and the moon and the stars and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So he's talking about this cosmic cataclysm, not just, this is not just Jerusalem anymore. This is about the whole cosmos, the very fabric of reality being shredded. 
That's going to happen, according to Christ. And I was a physics major, and I was an atheist when I was a senior at Wake Forest. And for me, that brain is still somewhere in there, and I have a really hard time with things like this in the Bible. I mean, this is really a big prediction. Like things like Noah's Ark and the sun standing still when Joshua fought. Uh, these are really difficult things for me to imagine, the story of creation. And this is really hard because... Um, what Jesus is saying is that nature is going to be rolled up like a scroll. And to me, as a scientist, I think of nature as just like always going to be the same and always has been the same. In fact, there's a principle that scientists have basically posited for the last 200 years called uh, uniformitarianism, which sounds like a, a, a really bad word. But uniformitarianism means that the laws of nature, the processes we see going on around us right now, operate not only here, but all across the universe, all the way back in time from the Big Bang till the end of time, till everything spreads out in the heat death. So uniformitarianism would say, uh, things can't change, the stars can't fall, the, um, the, the skies can't be rolled up like a scroll. And this is how science predicts things, These, uh, this idea that the laws of nature will always stay the same. So you know, that people say that Miami is gonna be underwater in 40 years, some people say that. That's, you just take the same laws that are going on right now and you extrapolate those out into the future and you get Miami underwater in 40 years. And then another guy I saw said the, the, sixth, the sixth mass extinction on planet Earth will start in 100 years. So there have been five mass extinctions already. And based on plotting out the laws of science as they happen right now, what we see right now, that the sixth one of those will start in 100 years. And then another scientist said the Earth herself will be burned to a crisp in five million years, which doesn't concern me as much as the other two, but in five billion years, the earth will be burned up by the sun. Again, uniformitarianism is based on how they get to those predictions. Or the universe will freeze to death in a trillion, trillion, trillion years. And again, that doesn't bother me that much, but you get there when you predict these matters through the same laws of science right now operating. And I bring all that up to say that Jesus was not a uniformitarian. He did not believe in that principle. He, he believed that everything could completely change. All the laws of nature could change. All the processes of nature could change. That in the end, in verse 27, he will come in a cloud with power and great glory and he will wrap things up. He will end. So the, the universe, according to Christ, will not end in a heat death. And in fact, I doubt the earth will be burned up by the sun. I'm, I'm guessing he's going to come back in less than five billion years. Um, the periodic table is going to dissolve. For those of you who are chemistry majors, 2 Peter 3.10 says, The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire. The elements destroyed by fire. So the, the story of the Bible has this very unique ending where it seems like God takes the, the, the universe itself and he kind of balls it up like a paper towel. It's just going to all end like that. And if you're a Christian, that's a very different kind of view of the world than someone who's not a Christian. It's a very unique view of the end of the world. And that leads to the main application of the passage, and I'll end with this. Um, this is repeated in verse 7 and verse 34. It's like bookends. They asked, when will these things happen? And he replied, watch out. That's, uh, that's verse 7. Watch out, he says. Same Greek word occurs in verse 34. 
watch out lest your hearts be weighed down with decadence and the cares of life. So watch out is this one Greek word where he's saying that because I'm predicting these things, you've got to keep a watch out on the horizon. Watch out basically means don't look at what's right in front of your face. Look at beyond the horizon line. Don't let your life become this. Think about what's happening beyond what you're experiencing right now, beyond the mere visible, beyond the horizon. So when you're pumping gas, you know, I hate, I don't know why I hate getting out of my car and pumping gas. I just hate that. But when I'm doing that, when I'm, you know, in the middle of that moment and that stupid TV comes on and starts playing a commercial and I get very irritated by that, think about this, this, there's something beyond that. Or when you're feeding kids or changing diapers, don't let that consume you. Or when you're renovating your kitchen, which we're about to do, that can become like right in front of your face, doing taxes, staying late at work, the pressures of work. Jesus is saying, this is not all there is. There, there is help on the way. The Son of Man is coming on the clouds, and he will be here one day. Look to the east. That's the east. Look to the east. That's where I'm going to come from. That's the Christian tradition based on certain passages of the Bible that, that Christ will come again from the east. This past Monday was, a, was an awful day. I don't know if you all remember that. Monday was just horrible weather. It was cloudy. I don't think it actually rained. It was very cold and very cloudy. And I woke up uh, in a very bad mood after having gotten bad news. And I had not slept well. And then my wife was also depressed. Oftentimes one of us will not be depressed and we'll lift the other one out, but we were both depressed. So Monday morning was really bad. And then I went to lunch and I was meeting this poor guy for lunch who I was really distracted. I don't know if he's here right now, but I'm so sorry because I was so distracted and preoccupied by this stuff in the back of my mind that I was not very present. I couldn't really listen very well. So after lunch, I was very distraught. I ran out to my car, called Margie on the phone, my wife, and I said, we, we have got to pray right now because I am tanking. And so... Um, in our prayer, we prayed. I don't remember who prayed this, but we prayed that above those clouds, which was all we could see because it was so cloudy and so cold and dismal, but above those clouds, there is a sun where if you were above the clouds, everything would look completely different. It would look like this right here. And we just prayed, raise our heads above the clouds and let us see that there is way more to this life than what we're seeing right now. And when that happens, it changes your entire like your body changes, your emotions change. When you actually put things in perspective and you watch out and you look up and you see that there's more to this life than your studies and your grades and your salary and all these little things we get so preoccupied with. Three days before I um, had that experience, so this was last Friday, not this past one, but the one before that, my friend had texted me kind of randomly a picture of Gandalf Again, Lord of the Rings. Gandalf's the great wizard, and this is a picture of Gandalf on his horse, Shadowfax, the white horse. It's from this uh, book called The Two Towers. You may have seen the movie. This is from the, the gruesome battle of Helm's Deep, where it's like the empire and the kingdom are clashing, and the kingdom's trying to hold off the uh, horrible orcs who are attacking the citadel. They're trying to break in and destroy the whole population wipe out the women and children. And Gandalf, the wizard, had promised them, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn. 
look to the east. See, Tolkien was Catholic, so he knew about the east. Gandalf says, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn. Look to the east. And right there at the worst moment of the Battle of Helm's Deep, when the orcs are about to break through into the citadel, they look up and there's Gandalf, you know, rising up on this white horse and the sun bursts out over these mountains and he comes riding down the hill on his horse and behind him are all these powerful warriors on horses, the Rohirrim, and they come in and just massacre the opponent. And it's one of those moments in, in cinema where I, I start crying. There's not many of those moments, but at that moment, there's just so much hope in that. That one day, there will be a, a great victory over evil. And a lot of us don't like the idea of judgment, but you can't, have, you can't have a good world without the judgment of evil. You can't have a good world without the extinction of the empire. It just can't be good. And when Paul is writing his letter to the church in Corinth, they are very hopeless people. They're very mired down and weighed down by the cares of life. And he says to them, essentially, look to the east. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. He's trying to remind the Corinthians there's so much more than what you see in front of you. With all the problems and all the, all the divisions and all the conflict you're having, you know, Jews and Gentiles fighting, there's so much more. He says, in, he says, as the application, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, we're not destroyed. We're almost dead, but we're filled with the life of Christ. That's the application. Watch out, look up, be encouraged. Jesus does not promise an easy life. He says in verse 16, some of you they will put to death. So he doesn't pull any punches. Some of you they will put to death. And at times evil will seem like it's going to win. Verse 17, that you will be hated for me. So there are times when it looks like the dark side is going to win. But then he promises a final victory. But not a hair of your head will perish. Obviously not literally. He's got to be talking about more than that. And I think what he's talking about is the final kingdom, eternal life. By your endurance, verse 19, you will gain your lives. You will have eternal life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. So this is the one that's coming from the east. The one that gives us his life at this table. The life of the world. The one that can fill you right now with peace and hope and joy. No matter how bad things are in your life, if you try to reframe that, if you will just reframe that in the light of the fact that the king... Will